Friends, I have a key for you. Ushers, uh, deacons, come on down. I mean, we're going to pass them down the aisle. You're going to get a, a cup, pull one of the keys uh, out of there, and pass it down the aisle. The goal is that everybody's got one of these in their hands at the end of it. So, uh, yep, we'll get those out there. A key for you. Friends, this key opens a house to the Baha- in the Bahamas on a peninsula, and it's one for each of you. Anybody happy about that? Yeah. Okay, so, so this house, uh, once you got your key in your hand, you can close your eyes and do it. Until then, uh, just listen as it comes to you. Pull one out and pass it along. I have a key for you. This opens a house in the Bahamas. It's on a peninsula. You just close your eyes and picture this. Wrap around a porch on it, a deck overlooking bays on both sides. You get to watch the sunrise on one side and the sunset on the other. The breeze is fantastic. The, the flowers are lush. The, the trees are, are beautiful. And it's yours to visit whenever you want because you have the key. It unlocks the door and you can use it however much you want and whenever you want. Does anybody not get one yet? Because the deacons and folks, here we go. Oh, right up front here, there's a couple more that are needed. Uh, right up over here. Yep, keep your hand high if you need one. Pass the cup to them. Here we go. Yep, get it to them. Yep, keep those hands high until we get them. Yep, awesome. Craig, we got a few more up this way. Oh, Mary, did she you get one? Yep. Craig, one more over here. Here we go. Yep, down this way. Good, yep. All right, so this key opens a house in the Bahamas, and you can use it anytime you like. Just go and visit and go enjoy it. This key is like the gift that you were given in your baptism. The gift of God putting you into his family. The God of unlocking the doors and saying, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving you welcome into the family. I'm giving you everything, all the goods that this family has. They are now yours. I am calling you daughter. I'm calling you son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, whom I'm I'm proud of and I delight in. The gift of God calling you child of God is like this key. A gift that is real and will, will remain, whether you use the key or you don't. So here's the hitch. You'll only enjoy the benefits of this key to the house in the Bahamas if you use it. If you do the work of packing your bags up, taking time away from all the other things, taking time to actually sit and enjoy the view once you get there. If you're too busy, if you're not willing to work at it, not willing to take the space for it, if you essentially set this out on a shelf or put it in a drawer, it'll still be yours, but you won't enjoy the benefits of it. You won't enjoy the blessings that that come along with it, the gift that God has given you. This key is like the gift God has given you in your baptism. Spoiler alert, these keys are junk keys from Gemmins and other local hardware stores. They open nothing and not even the things that they intended to open them in the first place. But they gifted them to us for the sake of this. So you're welcome. 
But imagine it did. When I first preached this sermon, uh, it was to uh, ninth graders that were intending to confirm their faith. In fact, it was just this past fall. And, and here in this series, Greatest Hits, we're pulling back ones that were particularly meaningful to us or to others. And I can tell you, this is one that was particularly meaningful to me as I got to deliver this. Uh, keys to each one of those uh, students, and now one for each of you. So now that you've got it in your hands, take it home with you and use it. Let it help you remember the things that we talk about today. I told them. Uh, on the day of your confirmation, essentially, you're committing to use your key all day, every day, all the time for the rest of your life. So whether that's you as you think back into your past when I was an eighth grader, ninth grader, when I was an adult and came to faith and professed faith for the first time, when I transferred in to Holy Cross and stood up here in new member class and committed to these things, essentially, you're making that commitment. I'm going to use this key. Now, if you're not uh, at that place in faith yet, not yet been baptized, know that this is what could come ahead for you. If you're at that spot where I've been baptized but not yet made that public confession, know that already now you can live in this way the rest of your life to commit to use this key. Now, I get it. Making a, a lifelong commitment all the time, every time, sounds like a lot, and it is. Whether you're a ninth grader or college student and maybe you don't know what classes you're even going to take or what you want to do next year or after college or after high school, much less the rest of your life. Yeah, it's hard for ninth graders and college students, but I don't think it actually gets any easier later in life, whether you're mid-career, mid-raising a family, mid-retirement. In fact, I think for those that are closer to the end of life, the less time that you have, it becomes more urgent how I use it and use it well. And so I want to be careful how I would commit the rest of my life to things and not waste it. It never stops feeling like a big commitment. There isn't a season that I know of where I can know so much about the future that I can make a commitment for all of that future and feel super confident because I know this is going to fit with everything that comes. But let me tell you, this commitment of using this every day all the time for the rest of your life is not something that constricts you. It's not something that limits you. It's not uh, a path that restricts what's yet to come, but rather it's choosing how I'll approach all that is to come. It's not restricting what's yet to come. It's choosing and stating my intentions of how I will approach all that does come. Essentially, I'll use the key that I've been given. It's intending to, to stand on and rest in this foundation as I step toward whatever it is that God has prepared for me. This key that you have been given in baptism, which you certainly, if you've been baptized, that key is real and it works. Uh, you, uh, it, it is indeed a needed gift because it answers one of the essential questions that we ask in this life, or at least we should ask in this life. And that question is, who am I? And I wonder if you realize how much grief this key, the gift given in baptism, preserves you from in answering that question. If you use the answer that, that it gives you, because the question of who am I is huge, and it's nothing new. But as I look at the world around us, if you step back for a sec, it seems like the variety of the possible answers is now wider than ever. 
on top of all the locally available associations and clubs and friend groups and social cliques and, and jobs and, and things that I, I could be a part of, extracurricular uh, affiliation. There's also uh, all the spectrum of, of gender possibilities and sexual orientation options that now are out there and, and talked about. Uh, there's a whole worldwide web of niche interest groups that were never accessible really previously, but now they come into my computer in my pocket on Snap and Discord and, and video calls or virtual reality or whatever the next thing might be. There are communities without end, not just what's local. And man, the multiple options doesn't make it any easier. And the weight of finding the correct answer, I think, is heavier than ever. We're told, sometimes explicitly, most times I think it's just the assumed truth, that you should be happy and comfortable. Seize the day. Live your best life. You do you. Why? So that you can have the best life that you can find. Because, and the best life is thought of as the one where I am the most comfortable and therefore am going to be the happiest. And we're told that the way to get to that comfortability, comfort, and happiness is to figure out who you are and then do your best to be fully that. So the question of who am I is central to this, and it becomes your guiding light to your best life. Thus, not having an answer to that question and being uncertain of it leaves you not only with an angst of uncertain identity, but it also means you're that much further from the happiness and the, the answers to, to the questions like, what am I doing here? What's the point of all this? And therefore, much further from the happiness we're told is possible. Is it any wonder then that for those who maybe ask this question most acutely or with the greatest freshness or, or the most urgency, those who are in the middle and high school ages, like 14 to 25, their reported levels of stress and anxiety are higher than ever before, and not just a little bit, a lot. They're not only asking the age-old question of who am I, but they're carrying the weight of their whole life's purpose because of what is at stake with their answer. The, the thought, I think, that runs behind it is uh, mess it up and you'll be, you'll be living in the closest thing to hell on earth, being uncomfortable and unhappy. And it will be your fault because you didn't figure out who you really are. So chased by that fear, we feverishly and desperately try to answer, who am I? And let's be honest, this is not just a question that teens and 20-somethings are asking. We're all in a place of carrying this weight and looking at the potential options that are out there, uh, maybe even more uh, now than when we were a teenager. And we only have this one widely accepted piece of advice to guide us, largely, look inside yourself. That's what we're told. Look inside yourself. You know you best. You should trust you most. Follow your gut. Follow your heart. Follow your inner truth. You do you. You decide what makes you happy. Now go after that. And the result of that thought process is lots of grief and lots of wondering. Sometimes you struggle to decide what you want to have for breakfast or which clothes you want to wear or which friends you're going to trust in or invest in. You know that your track record is not that good. You've intentionally worked at making decisions and still messed it up. And now with something that's so big, how can you trust yourself here? How do you decide when there's so much 
on the line. There's lots of potential grief in that line of thinking, plus this truth it's based on. Look inside yourself. You know you better than anyone else. It's not true. More on that to come. As part of the confirmation process, uh, Pastor Brian and I will each sit down with uh, the families uh, and talk to them about the journey of faith as it's been so far. Uh, so students and parents, we'd say like, like, what have you seen? Where, where's the growth happen? How from baptismal fonts now to eighth or ninth grader, have you seen God at work in your lives? And man, it's a time to celebrate. It is exciting. It's a time where the, the confirmation student shares the verse that they've picked that they hope will be a guide to them and what they can see is ahead. And let me tell you, as we sat in those interviews, as we heard about the verses that they would, that they would uh, hold before themselves as a help to them, we heard of lots of angst and many that longed for that inner peace. We heard verse upon verse upon verse of things that would guide to an inner peace that they longed for. Children of God, Maybe this isn't you. Maybe as you hear me say all these things and think through this logic, you're like, boy, that's, that's kind of crazy. And boy, that, that's not really me. Can I just say, if that's you at this point, you are blessed. For it is true for many. It is true for some of your friends. It is true for people that are next to you in the pew right now. It is true for many of your peers and people at a variety of ages and stages in life. It is true. Those of you that are over the age of 25, I want your attention for a sec. The rest of you under the age of 25, you can just hang tight for a sec. Uh, over 25, this is part of your church's, your church family's reality, our students' reality. And because we all live in these times, because we are in the midst of this, this cultural wave in America that has carried us to here, those assumptions and that general approach to life has weaseled its way into our church and our church families as much as it's weaseled its way into the world. At least unconsciously, a part of our reality, whether we can see it or not. But within this reality, we hold a key. Whatever age you are, hold on to that key. Hold it again. I've been given a gift. In the midst of an assumed blank slate, you figure it out. Be wary of passed down wisdom. Trust your intuition most kind of culture that we live in. We have a solid foundation and framework to build on. And it's based in this key given to you in baptism. Now, who has found on their key that there's something engraved in it? Did you notice? Did you notice? Okay, very good. What, what words, what letters are in there? Everybody look, you can find it. It's on. It's on one side or the other. What are the letters? C-O-G. Yeah, you got to get out your readers if you need to. It's real small on there. Tip it just right. Uh, C-O-G. Any guesses? Okay, if you didn't hear this sermon already, you, or if you did hear it already, don't guess. Uh, if you didn't hear it yet, what are your guesses? C-O-G. What do you think? What? Child of God. Yeah, we sang a few songs about it. It's like we primed you. It's like we planned this or something. Yeah. Child of God. Who are you? This is the gift given in baptism. You are a child of God. C-O-G. It was read in, in Psalm 139, if you want to find a place in Scripture to land this. It talks about a God who knows you better than you know you. 
You are intricately and wonderfully made. He's searched you. He knows you. When you sit and when you rise, perceives your thoughts from afar. He created you inside your mother's womb and knew you even before your mom and dad did. And he's with you no matter what. And it's a good thing because he's with you to provide for you. And here's your creator. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by him on purpose and for a purpose. Just as you are. And hear this part, because I think sometimes we miss this in the midst of our our theology of the, the world and where we're going into and what God is growing us into. He has made you just as you are and even allowed the imperfections that are within you, even allowed the inclinations that are within you, even allowed the struggles that are within you, whether that's anxiety or depression or, or temptations in this direction or temptations in that direction or, or a, a propensity toward anger or impatience, he's allowed these imperfections to be a part of who you are and how you have been made, those things that make life especially difficult and you wish weren't a part of your reality. He knows that all about you. And because he knows that, he didn't want you to struggle in those inclinations and that sinfulness forever. So he sent his son as the perfect child of God so that he could make a way for you to be child of God. Let me say that last part again. He sent his son to live as the perfect child of God so that he could consider you child of God through your baptism that gives the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection to you. So as we answer this question, the greatest question to ask, who am I? Hold on to this key. You have an answer. I am a child of God. Now, for some of you, particularly, I imagine, for the, the teens out there that just are aching to grow up and be an adult or, or uh, moving on to adulting uh, kinds of things, you're like, oh, I don't want to be a kid. I don't want to be a child. And, and maybe even more so if you're a 40, 50, 60, 70, 80-something, don't call me a kid. That, that sort of puts me down. But friends, as you confirm your faith and as you grow into maturity, whether child is is who you are at baptism, at midlife, at retirement. And friends, it's your comfort at your very last breath. The peak of maturity as a follower of Jesus is a life modeled after Jesus, and he was dependent on the Father, like a child is dependent on their parent. And through all of his life, and all the things he did, and all that was difficult, he was dependent. It says, we hear Jesus, it's recorded in John 12, verse 49 and 50, Jesus talking about what he does. And basically, he says, I don't say anything that God didn't tell me to say. He says, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I speak exactly what the Father has told me to say. He says what his Father tells him to say. Sounds like a child kind of thing to do. We also see him doing the things the Father tells him to do, which is a child kind of thing to do as well. I mean, in the garden, Jesus said, take this away from me. Make it so that I don't have to go to the cross and suffer and all of that. And yet he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And indeed, Jesus went to that cross. He did suffer, and he did die, and he did rise again. It was God's plan. He made a way through it for him. 
students, uh, elementary, middle school, high school students, I want you to hear now. So everybody else, you can uh, just sit for, on the side for a sec. As you grow, you will and you should come, become increasingly independent. Sorry, mom and dad. Uh, this is a gradual process of letting go, so if you didn't know that yet, it's coming. Uh, that's the plan. You should be needing and relying on your parents less and less for the basics that they have done for you. And more and more, you should be doing the things of mature adulting that they've been preparing you to do. So parents, as they do that, as they work in this direction, your example still matters. Grandparents, aunts and uncles, maybe even more so, because teens are going to listen to you grandparents and you aunts and uncles in a way that they don't listen to their parents. It's just biology and sociology. Trust me, your example matters, and your choices and what you do more than your words. So act wisely. They're looking at you now to see what it's like to mature on this foundation and what it looks like after 30 years and 40 years and 50 years and 60 years and 70 years and 80 years, you're that unique example to them. And as those who are more able to look at the world around you and say, this too shall pass, which I think once you get post 25 in your 30s, 40s, probably even more so as you've seen life gone by and you've got 80 years behind you, you can look at the things around you and say, yeah, this too shall pass. It'll, it'll be okay. But not everybody can do that. You are uniquely positioned to point those less mature in their faith who've had seen less water go under the bridge toward greater maturity. The generation of those that are, that are 14 to 25 need you right now to invest in them so that they can raise up the generation that follows after them. They need you, and God has prepared you to model that commitment made in confirmation that I independently I'm going to live on this foundation. I independently am going to commit to do this for the rest of my life. It means that you increasingly become independently committed to being dependent. You independently are committing to being dependent on God. It's not your family's commitment. It's not what you do just because the other people are doing it. It's what you do. Be dependent on God, as well as being a part of a community that is doing that, and it's helping you do that. Uh, friends, those, those words on there, those letters, C-O-G, they stand for child of God. That's why I put them on there. But I realize they also spell a word, cog. And I primarily intended it uh, to just say child of God. But as I wrote it on there, I realized that this spells a word that's also helpful as we answer that question, who am I? I am a cog. Which, uh, for those who don't know the mechanics of this, cogs are uh, a part of like gears that go together and when one gear pushes into the other, it turns the other. So there's like a whole bunch of little gears and a watch and one turns the other, that turns the other, that turns the other, that turns the other. And a cog is one of those little nubs on one of the gears. That's you. One little nub on one of the gears and a really complex system of gears that, that all work together. That is the family of God, the body of Christ, a community for a purpose, a, a community for a purpose uh, to share the love of God to the world around us. You have been made, and, and if you pull one of those cogs out of there, somehow the machine doesn't work quite as good without it. You have a purpose that's much bigger than what you can see. 
and a creation that's bigger than what, than what you can ever fully understand. But, but if we're going to put it really simply, you're loved and you're sent. You are, as I think about who am I as a child of God, I'm a child of God, therefore, number one, I'm loved. And number two, that means that I'm sent. Because I've got a God that wants this love to go out into the rest of the world. Child of God is somebody that, that embraces this identity for yourself and that you are a cog that's part of God's community sent on this mission. So what are you doing here? You're being loved and sent uniquely as you in the unique creation. Now, I told you before that these keys were uh, mistaken keys, uh, ones that were tried to be cut for something else but didn't work out right in some way. Friends, you are not a mistake. The ways that God has designed you and the ways that he's worked in you, the things that he's prepared for you are not a mistake. Each cog has a unique purpose, and if it doesn't do the thing that God has called it to do, then the whole system suffers. So as you answer this question, who am I, don't stop at child of God, because that's not it. Continue the pursuit on the basis of this framework and the foundation it provides and discover how God has uniquely positioned you within that framework, how God has uniquely gifted you so you can fully become all that God's made you to be. Now, maybe it sounds like I just kind of circled my way all the way back to what I said at the beginning, but let me tell you how it's different. The, uh, you're, you're a blank slate. You decide, trust your own gut. Approach seems uh, attractive and the breadth of possibilities it presents. But friends, it's far more like the tree in the Garden of Eden that they weren't supposed to eat from. All the, the possibilities that there are out there, some of them were told are like that tree in the Garden of Eden that you should just leave alone. There are some options that God is trying to protect us from considering, like guardrails on the edge of a, a mountain road that keep you on the path toward freedom and flourishing. He doesn't want you going off the edge. And with God's foundation and framework, you still get to figure out who you are. It's important that you discover those things, you, but you do that from an understanding of, first of all, being uniquely created by God for his purposes. It's slight, the difference between figure out who you are without any foundation or framework, without a bigger story that you're a part of, and discover who God has made you to be for a purpose. But your experience of one versus the other are drastically different. Far more peace and contentment over here, far more angst and anxiety over here. Let me wrap up here. With God as your guide, there is a peace that's on a whole nother level as you answer this question, who am I, with I'm a child of God. You don't have to rest on whatever feels right or makes you happy, because those things are likely going to change, and you're going to likely question and re-question later. Your, certainly comes, your certainty comes not from your own perception or your feelings, but from a fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Water was put on you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The effects of his death and resurrection are yours. This key is yours. Don't put it in a drawer or set it away on a shelf. Use it each and every day and let it remind you you are a cog, a child of God and a cog in his community. There is certainly much more to discover and keep in that endeavor, but do it on the foundation of who God has declared you to be and you will find peace along the way and purpose. And you'll get to invite others into that same sort of peace and purpose in their lives as well. Children of God and cogs in the community of God.
May you have peace in this now and forever. Amen. Again, the key is yours. Take it with you. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.